0: Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. On today's broadcast, I want to interact with two modern phenomena that have tremendous missiological implications— The first of these is the unprecedented explosion in digital communication. Around 60% of the world's population is online, and as of this recording, about half of the world's population is on some form of social media. The second phenomenon is the increasing difficulty faced by many American missionaries in gaining long-term access to certain foreign mission fields. Many of the world's most populated, least evangelized countries are closed to missionaries as missionaries. For this cause, we refer to these countries as creative access countries because a missionary will have to have some other cover or creative way to enter and live in those places. My guest today is named Daniel. I'm withholding his last name out of an abundance of caution. Brother Daniel is a missionary kid whose family is involved in church planting in some of the remote areas of Alaska and British Columbia, Canada. From these often forgotten reaches of North America, he developed a burden for some of the Forgotten Reaches of Southern and Southeastern Asia. He's employed some of the tools produced by the technological revolution to communicate the gospel with souls living in creative access countries, and this is among the topics we'll address in our conversation today. We begin our discussion, however, by addressing what Brother Daniel calls the Forgotten Circle. Imagine a circle centered near the border of Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, and China, with a radius of around 2,000 miles. That may be a relatively small geographical designation in relation to the rest of the Earth, but when considered miseologically, kind of like the popular 1040 window, it becomes a fascinating designation. That'll be the topic of the first part of our conversation. And with that introduction, let's get into the conversation with Brother Daniel. Brother Daniel, I know that you've taken a real interest in people groups and creative access nations, and I want to talk to you today about how that developed and some of the measures that you've taken to engage that need. But before we get to some of those things, I wanted to ask you about the Forgotten Circle. You recently produced a short video for the purpose of raising awareness about what you call the Forgotten Circle. I know this is near to your heart right now. So what is the Forgotten Circle, and what exactly does it have to do with the Great Commission?
1: Well, thank you, Brother Cadenhead, for the opportunity to um, just introduce some basic facts about the Forgotten Circle. Yes, it is very near and dear to my heart, I believe to the heart of God as well, because the Forgotten Circle represents some of the most neglected mission fields in the world. Uh, The Forgotten Circle is home to 66% of the world's unreached people groups, uh, according to statistics available by the Joshua Project and others. 1040 window leaves out countries like the Maldives, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, Brunei, uh, Malaysia. And these are some places that are very needy. Um, You know, the Forgotten Circle, yes, it's got a lot of land, but there's actually more water in this geographical projection than, than land.
0: A significant population concentration, we're talking about half the world's population within that circle that you've just described, but not only a a concentration of population, but a concentration of unreached population, 66% of the world's unreached people groups you mentioned, and... Within that area, you're also talking about a, a lot of creative access countries as well, places where missionaries cannot go as missionaries, and a religious composition that uh, is is almost uh, exclusive of Christianity. We're talking about a, a significant concentration of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. How many how many creative access countries in this forgotten circle that you've described?
1: Well, as you said, creative access nations are countries that are pro- prohibitive toward foreign and even local missionary work. They deny visas to foreign missionaries. They normally have an oppressive government. Uh, so it takes creativity to work and live there. They need to overcome these national political barriers, but there's those social, cultural, religious difficulties that must be overcome if the foreign missionary will be effective. There's actually 16 Creative Access countries in this Forgotten Circle. Um, So the population, the total population is 23 countries, 4.1 billion, but when you narrow it down to those 16 Creative Access nations where the real needs are, it's really the forgotten part of the Forgotten Circle. Uh, we're down to 3.7 billion, which is still more than half of, or, or just just under half, rather, of the uh, population of the world. We're talking about the countries of China, Vietnam, North Korea, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, Nepal, the Maldives, Burma, or Myanmar, Laos, Malaysia, Cambodia, Indonesia, and Burma. So here we got 16 nations, but... Remember, there's 195 to, some people say, just over 200 nations. We're talking about about 10% of the world's countries, yet half Nearly the Nearly half population. of the
0: world's population, right. And, and right. a very
1: small disproportionate number of Bible-believing missionaries go into those people.
0: The fact that their creative access is not only owing to their religious composition, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam, atheism. If if you want to, uh, if if you want to count for China's China, Absolutely, for instance, yes, but also politically, uh, it's not favorable really to to Christian missionaries either, because you're talking about a lot of communistic countries as well mm-hmm. as r- religious, nationalistic political powers, such as you have in India, and those such places are not really conducive for. Uh, missionaries as missionaries per se, in terms of the, the, the way that they gain access into the country.
1: Yes. Religious nationalism seems to be the greatest prohibitive, if you will, force against foreign missionary activity in their countries. This Forgotten Circle has more, as you said, more Muslims or around half of the world's Muslims right inside it. More Muslims inside it than outside of it with 865 million, the best I can count with statistics available to me. But yeah, it's the seat of the Hindu and Buddhist cultural civilizations. And like you say, more communists are inside the circle than outside of it, obviously with China, but also Vietnam, Laos, and North Korea. So there's only one officially recognized communist country that's outside of the circle. So atheism religious nationalism seem to bring a great um blockade if you will to foreign missionaries but god god can still give creative access to these countries by his grace
0: so when you when you describe the need of this area and when you emphasize the need that that's present in the forgotten circle you're not only pointing to the the population concentration, the concentration of unreached people groups and creative access countries, and as well as the religious and political composition, you mentioned that there is a a disproportionate number of missionaries that are that are deployed to other parts of the world as compared to this part of the world. What is what does the missionary distribution look like? in the forgotten circle as compared to, uh, that outside of the the forgotten circle, which is the other half of the, of the world's population.
1: Gathering from statistics offered on the website by reaching beyond com, I won't use a brother's name who put that together, but he's a good brother. And, um, yes, the statistics are slightly out of date going back to 2005. Uh, he's working on updating those statistics But by tallying up the number of missionaries, which were available in the data available back then, we come up with a number of 5% of our foreign independent Baptist missionaries are targeting countries, rather the creative access countries within the forgotten circle. So countries like the Philippines, uh, South Korea, Japan, they might get a little bit more attention and representation to the churches in the West than some of these more forgotten countries And there's just so few missionaries. Obviously, there's the prohibition toward missionaries working in creative access countries, but also there's a lack of representation by missionaries who seem to end up going to the same fields, hence coming back to our American churches and representing the same needs, people getting burdened to go to those fields which already receive a majority of the focus.
0: And there are, I'm, I'm sure, there are reasons and some and some legitimate reasons for that. Um, obviously, if I was if I was serving if I was serving in Paraguay or in Germany, for that matter, um, and and I was surrounded by the need all the time. If I were in the states on a furlough, I'd want to raise awareness for the needs that I was familiar with, uh, but. I do appreciate you bringing to the attention of believers in the States a part of the world's population that just doesn't, as you say, have much representation in our in our independent Bible-believing churches. I want to talk to you about how this came to be near to your heart, but shifting gears a little bit, I want to come back to the theme of, of unreached people groups and creative access countries and uh, how you're trying to engage uh, that part of the world. But you, you spent at least part of your youth living in uh, the, the northern reaches of North America, participating with your family in remote access evangelism and church planting. And eventually, I'd like for you to tell us uh, about how you eventually began a seamen's ministry. But could you take just a moment to tell us a little bit about your participation in missions in the remote areas of uh, Alaska and Canada?
1: Yes. And, and I would also like to take this moment to say that where God calls a man is his legitimate focus. That's where his burden is going to be. And I appreciate that you pointed that out. I used to be grieved when people would talk about our church only focuses on the 1040 window. For I was an MK, uh missionary's kid. Our family was working in Alaska, quote, quote, already reached in some people's minds, and there's not not so much of a need there compared to the overwhelming number, but really we were dealing with a geographical restraint where we got teeny little villages and people in maybe 50 people or a hundred or 2000. It doesn't compare to the masses in Hyderabad or Beijing, but it's still a legitimate need. And where God calls a man is, is, is important and, and that's support worthy and we need to get behind whoever God calls so, well, I w- let me let me
0: digress a little bit there. I I do appreciate you engaging that. I I want you to address the the your family's experience in missions, uh, in in North America. But I if I could interject at this at this point in the conversation that when it comes to when it comes to a burden, and when it comes to a calling, and these are sometimes controversial terms, even in in missions and understanding how men come to be engaged in going, but however, however, foreign workers get to foreign fields, it is more than just crunching statistical data. Amen. And I do think yes, that sir. this can be the, we can overemphasize statistics. There, there is no place on the planet that doesn't have a need because everybody needs Jesus Christ. That's right. Every community needs a Bible believing church the great commission the need around the world and how god moves on individual hearts to get men to certain places is more than just statistical cal- calculus there is a there's a relationship with the lord and fellowship with the lord and communion with the lord but i but i am nevertheless, nevertheless i am interested in examining the statistical data acknowledging the fact that the lord has sent us to every creature including the ones that are in places that you can't go as a missionary at least on paper and that if jesus christ died for the world that includes the world that's in the forgotten circle or the 1040 window or whatever other geographical designation that we'd like to assign to planet earth Um, The need is uh, we have a responsibility to get to get the gospel to these places as well. And just looking at it, um, obviously, obviously, there are fewer people that are responding to this area of the world um, and and fewer fewer in our kinds of churches fewer people in general but definitely proportionally so we could adopt any kind of there are a number of illustrations to 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 point to the disproportionate um, uh, distribution of of missionaries be it you know the log illustration if you're trying to carry a log you got 10 men on one end and one guy on another don't you think you'd send the one guy a little help To carry, Mm -hmm. well, the Great Commission, we're trying to get it done, or or the feeding of the 5,000. The idea is not just to feed the first row again and again and again and again. (laughs) The Lord sent them among all of the multitudes. Um, I think that was Jonathan Goforth's illustration. Um, The Forgotten Circle or the 1040 Window, these are just geographical designations. They're conventions to illustrate the need around the world and how we're not communicating uh, as zealously to certain areas of the world, and it's worth it's worth our examination. Uh, and yet, uh, your family went to a place in North America where there was a need, and you were very much a part of that. And from that place, God burdened you and your heart and now your own family to go to an entirely different part of the world. But tell us a little bit about your family and and how the Lord deployed you to the, uh, you and your father, your mother, your siblings, to the remote areas of North America to plant churches.
1: Amen. Um, And and I believe this is very related because when we're talking about creative access, uh, there are various different restrictions that we face. We face a geographical restriction up in, you know, some of the northern um, outlying areas of Alaska, Canada, Greenland in our own continent in the West here but on the foreign fields oftentimes we come across more linguistic challenges, social cultural challenges but yes my family was called up to Alaska and we worked in the northwest British Columbia Canada beginning in 2006 I was saved as a nine-year-old boy prior to going up to Alaska uh, I wasn't called uh, into full-time ministry. or It was time for me to grow up, time for me to learn. But when I was 14, the Lord called me to preach. My dad began to really involve me and mentor me. He was really my field pastor. Uh, of course, my membership stayed in Tennessee, the church that sent our family up, up there to represent uh, the work God had called us to do. But my dad was really my field pastor, if you will. I served under him. He— I, he taught me a lot uh his his theme verse, and it's it's a verse that it's become a theme for me uh the things which I was heard among many faithful witnesses, the same commit to faithful men uh in second Timothy chapter two. That's what my dad did for me. He poured his life into me, he involved me in in the ministry up there in remote areas, mostly in Canada. We lived in Alaska, and then we went across the border into Canada. Uh, really remote areas. We began our ministry in rural areas, um, places with uh, aboriginal communities with less than 2,000 people in each village. Uh, we worked in extensively in about a dozen villages and then further out oh, in, in dozens of villages through a literature publication ministry, uh, through an online publication ministry, which I, sh- I assume we'll get to a little bit later. But Really, my dad involved me, and I'm really thankful for him, uh, a faithful minister of, of God's Word, not just seeing his ministry out and about, but he invested in his family, which became his team, and he saw the value in, in, in that investment, and I'm very thankful for that.
0: And then at some point, uh, the the investment that your father uh, put, made in you— And, and by the way, you've got, you've got some brothers that are also serving full time in the, in the ministry. And so your dad's obviously done, done a a tremendous job training um, his family. And, and it's a blessing having, having been around uh, your family a bit over the last few years, but you developed your own burden actually uh, in the time that uh, your family was serving in the these remote areas of North America, and I'm I'm interested for you to tell us just a little bit about how the Seamen's Ministry got started, how you became aware of the need, and how you got involved in getting the gospel to folks really from all over the world that were that were um, serving on ships coming in and out of these areas that you were already that your family was already ministering in.
1: Yes, sir. So living in remote areas, sometimes due to the geographical restriction, the limitation on finances to be able to get out, you know, I mean, you just can't. As a family man, my father couldn't just get out every day. He had his commitment to us, to the Bible Institute, to the local ministry. And sometimes our valley seemed a little bit narrow for me. I was always one that had to be restrained. And God had to teach me the value of serving the Lord as a servant um, sweeping the floor, being just as valuable as going out and knocking doors in the next village. And so for some reason, that was my tendency and God had to slow me down. Uh, but I began to pray that God would give opportunities as, after I was called to preach at 14. I just wanted to uh, just charge out of the gate and do something. But God showed me uh, that that there's, there's a value in keeping um, your father's sheep, if you will, as David did, just learning And but in 2016, God burdened my heart to start the Seafarers Ministry, working with the international um, merchant marines, if you will. Of course, these men came in on um, international vessels. They were often Chinese, Filipino, Vietnamese, um, Korean. Going back a little bit further, uh, prior to starting the ministry in 2016 after I was called to preach, probably around age 14, I'd see those ships come in as a young teenager. I would think, man, if I could just convince one of those Chinese uh, captains to let me go with them to China at work. I mean, I'd maybe cook their food or serve just so I can get to China. You know, I read the old books and I was eager to do something like that. Um, and that's probably where the seed thought came from. I know my dad had prayed about such a possibility. I can't remember if he shared that with me when I was a younger man, but I was burdened about these ships coming in. Our our community was just so small, pinched between mountains but still touching the salt water with access to deep water ports. But in 2016, I was researching methods to reach some creative access nations such as Yemen, which were positioned along the Indian Ocean. God had already burdened me Uh, for a certain country in South Asia. And I was researching methods to kind of reach the general area in a more broad-based evangelistic effort. And I heard about something called a bottle ministry, where people would actually stuff like a glass bottle and a cork with tracts in different languages. And that intrigued me. And then when I studied the paths of the sea, and I understood that the Indian Ocean had a unique pattern of, of currents, uh, the monsoon rains affecting that, where it rotates one way, one year, and rotates another way, the other year. I became very interested in starting a bottled ministry to where we could strategically map out the currents of the Indian Ocean, place bottles in the Indian Ocean, and then see them thrown on the shores of Yemen and Mozambique and Sri Lanka and India and so on. And this was kind of a uh, kind of a dream, probably unrealistic, but I realized that if I would do that, I'd have to really build a partnership with captains on the ships of these uh, vessels. And I saw an example of the mountain in front of me in our hometown. And that's when God burned my heart because a world port had just been built, a multi-million dollar project uh, in in the community next to ours. It was actually in Canada. We're right on the border there. And God gave me favor with the owner of that port. And really, it was just amazing to see how God opened that door for me to access that port. And it was just amazing how God planted the seed thoughts and just opened the doors, got me through all kinds of governmental red tape uh, with Canadian government crossing borders, uh, shipping agents, port owners. But I saw God give a creative way to access these men on these ships and bring Bibles and tracts um, and a gospel presentation with me. Um, I had learned that uh, from a brother, his name was Jerry Matson in Norfolk, Virginia, that he had done that. Uh, I'd heard of that, and God just opened the doors for me, able to, to, for me to be able to do that uh, right there uh, in my hometown.
0: That's a great story. I don't know if the bottle ministry ever got off the ground, but I love the idea of a young man just looking at the world and the need for the gospel. And thinking big and thinking outside the box and letting the Lord work in that to get you to doing something from where you're at and making a difference. And uh, what what may have started about some a bit of research about um, sea currents and bottles and such forth turned into you actually coming into personal contact with some men around the world and being able to invest in them. Uh, Brother Daniel, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Tommy Tillman, uh, yes, missionary sir. to to Thailand and Mongolia. He Amen. actually he actually started the the name of his ministry is uh, Harbor Evangelism, and and he got his start interestingly in the port of New Orleans, going on to vessels that were docked there, smuggling Bibles onto Soviet ships and it was in the course of his time serving on those ships in the port of New Orleans that he learned that there was such a thing as a leper colony and he ended up going to South Korea and then from South Korea learning of the uh, need in Thailand and uh i I'm, I'm intrigued by a few of the uh the parallels between how uh, Brother Tillman's now some, somewhat um, legendary uh, ministry in Thailand and then eventually Mongolia um, began in in a port similar to 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 how to some things that the Lord is working in your heart, starting with the seamen's ministry and and now taking an interest in southern Asia. I'm, I'm wondering if in what ways. So you had already been. You had already been thinking about. Apparently, you'd already been. If you had traveled to Southern Asia, but in 2015, prior to the starting to beginning the Siemens Ministry, you obviously had been thinking about that part of the the globe, the the population concentration in that in that part of the world, and the gospel need there. How did your exposure in the Siemens Ministry and your rubbing shoulders with these men from all over the world? How did that contribute to your burden for? Uh, difficult to reach regions of the world and uh, creative access nations.
1: Well, that's that's a big question, and sometimes it's hard to trace. But it's just amazing when the uttermost of the world comes to you, docked in your local port. Another thing to comment on is he, brother Tommy Tillman. He worked in uh, those ports down there um, around New Orleans. His his hometown was Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, where my wife is from, and my wife, uh, the pastor's daughter, and um, their church supports Brother Tillman's ministry, a fantastic sure. ministry, and it's exciting to see how God would use the uttermost coming to us in various forms, various forms of trade and education, bringing them to us. And it really is our opportunity, however that happens, to get a greater burden to reach wherever they're coming from and where they uh, represent. But to answer your question, yes, I was already familiar with some of the um, uh, aspects of missionary work in in South Asia. Uh, I was already familiar with geographical restrictions placed on my father's family necessitating some type of creative access methods. My dad was already involved in starting a, an aviation ministry. Uh, we were already involved in um, cross-cultural work among the Aboriginals in the Northwest. But yes, the seafarers ministry had helped me in the development of this ministry that God had already given me. It was a time for me to just grow in, in, in my knowledge and, and um, grow in that burden. It was amazing to me that God brought a vessel From the particular country in South Asia where I had already visited, and already felt called to go there, and this vessel came to my hometown with a crew of all of the nationality, all the all the people on that ship basically were from this one particular country. Uh, They had a tattered flag. I happened to have brought a flag from that country with me back from that country. And I was able to present it to the captain, give him a Bible in his own language, and even sing for them their national anthem. And it was so neat for God to just kind of build on what he was already doing. And, yes, continue to burden me, continue to grow me, and help me in my interaction with with locals who have now become, you know, foreigners on my local turf, you know, they're from where I'm going. And God used this to strengthen my confidence to know that God can open doors even when they appear to be closed.
0: That, that is, that's very well put that the Lord, he, he has the keys of David. He, he can, he can Amen. open doors that no man can shut, and shut doors that no man can open. Eventually you decided to make use of technology, to try to engage people in creative access countries from the U.S. And I really wanted to take some time out of this conversation to talk about that because uh, perhaps we have some listeners that that would like to be more involved but are, yeah. are not in a position to deploy to the uttermost parts of the earth personally. And, of course, there, there are some places, in all honesty, that um, creative access countries, especially with some of the travel restrictions going on right now, there are some places that, that we just don't have access to in terms of boots on the ground, um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some opportunities to engage people in those parts of the world. And so you've been, you've been doing this for, for some time now. Tell us about how you've made use of technology to uh, get the gospel and develop relationships for gospel purposes in some of these hard-to-reach places.
1: When people become involved in some type of creative access ministry, whether that's ESL teaching English um, as a foreign language, or whether that's a port ministry, or become in contact with internationals, it really opens up their mind to see, see the need and allow God to move on their heart to pray that God would send laborers. So even if someone doesn't actually get deployed, as you say to boots on the ground, they can effectively be involved in creative access ministries to some of these very restricted countries. Um, so when it comes to utilizing technology to engage people in creative access nations, that was a development. Uh, I would have to say that my dad started a website, goall.org, and this website was 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 started back around 2000, maybe 1999, when websites were just becoming popular. And so my dad always had talked to me about uh, the opportunities. Uh, He didn't always um, develop them uh, as far as they could have been developed, but he always planted the seed thought in how we can really reach people in a creative access environment. Maybe he didn't use those words, but I was always intrigued by that. Uh, I'm thankful. And It's it's probably good to point out that when you begin to engage people on social media, there's a mature age, which, which is going to be different for different people. There are different sides to this, negative and positive. With all communication, with any tool, it can be used for good or bad. The internet uh, is a net. The World Wide Web is a web, and, and you can use it. For good, just like a fisherman can use a net to catch fish, we're fishers of men, but you can also get caught in it. so I'd caution as we discuss these um these these modes of communication and evangelism that it really takes a certain level of development and uh, maturity. I'm not saying I'm there, but I'm just saying that there needs to be some counsel with pastors before they uh employ and implement some of these methods we're about to talk about. I think it's important to talk about that.
0: I very much appreciate that um, that caveat in in the course of this conversation. I, I, I'll I'll throw in my own here my my own uh, <laughs> my own qualification. I'm not on social media. Um, I, I I just it's just not something that I do. And pastorally speaking, um, I'm I don't know of a church that wouldn't be healthier if everybody in the congregation got off Facebook
1: hey, he and missed. Twitter.
0: Tomorrow. Amen. So, uh, and, and I don't think that the course of this conversation is going to, is going to change that personal conviction. Nevertheless, these are, these are places where our people are, uh, they're frequenting that it's as uh, is, is much as I hate it. I don't think there's any going back. I think that this is, I think that this is a present reality for our churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess the only way that I know to look at it is, you know, when 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 our when our young people go to college, for all of the snares and dangers that are that are there, there are also people that need to hear the gospel. When mm-hmm. we go to when we go into the workplace, for all of the snares and the dangers that are there, all of the defiling potentially defiling influences, there are lost people there that need to hear the gospel. And when it comes to the World Wide Web and social media and these kinds of things, there are people in other parts of the world that would be, that would jump at the opportunity to have any kind of interaction with an American. Now I realize that the, that, that, that there are certain media outlets that would, that would have us to believe that Americans are despised and hated by all foreigners, but it's simply not true. Uh, I was in, I was in a, in a, in Goa, India, uh, last fall and i had we had multiplied people and Goa is an interesting place in the in in india and probably oh, quite a bit yes, different right. than certain places in india but we had multitudes come up with a come up to us and just want to take a picture they mm-hmm. just wanted to shake a hand they wanted to they wanted to try their english and you know have a little back and forth And the social media has given a platform for all of its ills and all of its dangers. It nevertheless nevertheless presents a platform that could be utilized for gospel purposes by people that have a mind to do so and have the maturity to make use of the medium. And so you've, how how have you done that? Those, those, those caveats and qualifications aside, how did you make use of these of these social media platforms to try to interact with people uh, and, and get the gospel out?
1: Like you say, one more qualification, if you don't mind, the gospel, sure, sure. our power is in the gospel. And regardless how communication happens, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, according to Romans um, chapter 10 and verse 17. And so... God has allowed me to use these different different means of communication. Uh, it began by helping my father with his online outreach on our website, um, not only kind of a global focus, it's called All the Earth Ministry, uh, but also we began to set up online advertisement campaigns. We had a friend, uh, an ambassador, if you will, to Israel, and he was using us effectively in Israel to get the gospel in Hebrew around the whole country. And so we became encouraged about the possibility of using these uh, means like Google ads and YouTube ads to really engage with people who may not talk with us at their doors in our church planning um, campaigns. Up there in Northwest British Columbia, Canada, um, and so it began with that. Uh, and it's really a fantastic possibility to put a YouTube advertisement in front of people when they, when us as as the advertisers, we don't have to pay unless someone actually watches. Say, for instance, thirty seconds of the video. If they don't skip that ad, that's thirty seconds of gospel presentation to get their attention before they skip the ad. If they skip the ad, we're not charged. If they go on to watch the ad, then um, yes, we pay, but we might only pay a penny, which is still cheaper than a gospel track. And so we began to use that, and God began to bring people to our church planning missions in Northwest British Columbia, Canada, as a result of these YouTube ads um, which gave a real personal appeal, not professional. Uh, maybe two or three hours of training could help anyone do this, even with their iPhone and a basic laptop computer. Uh, it, I helped my, um, my wife's church, her father's a pastor, do a free Bible campaign. God used that to bring people into their church as a result of, hey, there's actually a church in my town offering me a King James Bible. I ought to want to go to a church that's willing to use these kind of means to get the gospel to my community. And so that not only does it target lost people, but it shows that we care to reach out and use all means of communication that God has given to really communicate with whatever community. So it can not only be used in a creative access environment, but we can get creative in our own local communities to um whether that's advertising a VBS, offering a free Bible, or a gospel presentation online via video form, or bringing people onto a website, bringing people to call. The Google ads and the YouTube ads really are the one of the best platform. Of course, I, I also don't have a Facebook account. I discourage Facebook um, and uh, social media interactions for the most part. Um, And I try to minimize my footprint personally for more than one reason, but there's also dangers. But these communication platforms, these mega companies like Google and Facebook, they're set up and they're already specializing in communication, getting our thought to their heart. And when we capture their eyes and their ears to do it, it's a powerful means.
0: We're going to stop there on today's interview with Brother Daniel. Perhaps you can tell that this whole realm of social media and web-based advertising is not something that I'm particularly comfortable with and that's for a variety of reasons. Nevertheless, the medium is here to stay and I am interested in seeing the church leverage whatever legitimate tools available to us for Great Commission purposes. But to be clear, we're not just suggesting inundating the World Wide Web with memes about Jesus. What if this medium could be utilized to develop relationships with seekers in difficult to reach parts of the earth, relationships that would lend themselves to evangelism and discipleship. Brother Daniel has been able to utilize some of these web-based forms of communication to do that very thing, and it's actually helped him to prepare for a more traditional in-person missionary effort. We'll learn about how this came together in the second part of this interview with Daniel, so I hope you'll avail yourself to that. Thank you again for tuning in to the program today. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.